0: I am super excited to introduce today's show. You know, a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs have read Jim Collins' book, Great by Choice, which was a follow-up to Good to Great. But how many of those have actually applied the ideas to build a great company? So today I sat down with Sasha Popovich, founder, uh, co-founder actually, of Vega IT Sourcing to discuss the choices, decisions, and actions that they use from the book to build an award-winning company. So we discussed the three principles from Great by Choice and how they applied them in real life at Vega IT. How Vega IT grew 30% a year without a sales team, and then why and how they chose to start one. The advantage they gained from starting a company during the Great Recession, while not knowing how you are supposed, and supposed is definitely in quotes, to run a company. Why they're in a good position to weather the global economic crisis caused by the coronavirus pandemic. We talk about the discipline of performing despite tough conditions combined with the discipline of holding back when things are good. And as we get into, you know, I think a lot of us are are used to thinking about toughing things out, but how many hold back when things are good? And, And we get into the reasons why. We talk about using success to make their country and the world a better place, which I love. And Vega IT's focus on three key components, people, culture, and cash reserves. And by the way, although it's a business conversation, every principle we discuss could easily be applied to our personal lives as well. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Can't wait to get to it. So you know what? Let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards, of course, and I have kind of a special show today, and I'm really excited about, we've got a returning guest. We've got Sasha Popovich, who was the founder of Vega IT, and he was on episode 64 back in April of 2019, so a little over a year ago, and you might recall another another person from his company, Maya Nedichik. She was episode 36 and came out very end of 2018, so two great episodes. I am Fascinated and inspired by the company that you have built, Sasha. Uh, But first off, how do you introduce yourself to people? When people ask, what do you do? What do you tell them?
1: Well, yeah, I would say I'm a people person and uh, I spend a lot of time working with uh, my colleagues at Vega IT, uh, supporting them, helping them to uh, do their work as good as they can, to feel great at work, to try to motivate them to work on their personal professional development and th- that's that's mostly what i do here all right
0: so that's a a little bit different approach to leadership than, than maybe many people would think of um well let me ask so, so for those who don't know what does vega it do yeah,
1: vega it is a software development company uh, building software products also helping digital agencies to complete their projects for their clients. So a few different things around uh, building software. And so you, well, one of the things
0: that, that fascinates me uh, about your organization, Sasha, is at least last time we spoke, you, you did not have a sales department. Uh, that's true, that's true. We didn't have any sales business development that. All right, So so that kind of flies in the face of how we normally think of of businesses running. So you you started an IT company, don't have a sales department, uh, spend most of your time helping your your, your colleagues with their development and their focus and what they're working on. That's a very different approach. And and I love that approach, but what inspired you to take that approach versus something that
1: might be more traditional? Well, it it came, uh, how would they say it? I mean, before knowing anything about how you should build and run a company, my partner Vladan and I just felt this is the right way, this is the proper way and, and the way we would enjoy running a company. And then over the time we were learning from others about what can be improved and how and so on. So the, the approach that we use worked very well for us and. Uh, Uh, we've been improving it year after year. So as you said, we didn't have any sales department uh, before. We grew our company from zero to more than 200 people only through word of mouth. So by having extremely uh, satisfied and happy clients who were referring us to others. Um, On on, on the other hand, uh, maybe it's interesting to, to mention that here, Uh, During the COVID-19 outbreak, and so especially during the past two, three months, uh, we actually built a sales team uh, as a way to, uh, let's say, experiment and try to recover some of the loss we had uh, as as a result of the outbreak. All right. So to me, that's just... Fascinating that you were able to to build a
0: company from nothing to being a, a strong company, and I know you've you've won awards. And it's only with a global pandemic that you've stepped back and gone, "Hey, let's experiment with a sales team." Well, well, let me ask. So, the pandemic, the downturn—you um, know—it's affected everyone ac- across the world. Uh, some countries were hit harder than others. Some countries are still going through it, but. I know that one of the reasons I actually wanted to have this conversation with you today is that your company has weathered it better than most, uh, just because of how you had built the company and the things that you had put in place. So not that you weren't affected by it, but what had you built so that you were in a position that a downturn didn't just devastate you the way it had many companies.
1: Yeah. I I would say that one important thing, uh, is also that we uh, started Bayguide in 2008, so this is the second you could say global economic crisis that we're experiencing since we founded the company and I believe the key to surviving or, or even thriving during tough times is entering them prepared. So. Uh, as uh, Jim Collins, Collins wrote in his book Great by Choice, none of us can really predict with certainty when a crisis will happen. The only thing we can be certain of is that it will eventually come. Uh, so, instead of thinking about uh, when something might happen, we should just always be prepared. Uh, what, what we were focusing on were mostly people, our culture and cash. And uh, if you don't mind i can go back to the book i mentioned and yeah. tell you a short story from the book so it's a story about two explorers uh, who wanted to conquer the south pole and it was in uh, in the beginning of the 20th century uh, for one team it was uh, a race towards victory and safe return home and for the other team uh, it was a complete failure and actually the whole team died during that uh, quest. So the winning expedition was led by Roald Amundsen and the other one by Robert Falcon scott And they they were of similar age. Uh, They had similar experience before starting the journey, but still the the preparation they did and uh, the approach they used during their quests uh, resulted in success for the first and, and failure and death for the second team. So in, in, in the book, uh, Jim Collins wrote about uh, what they did and, and he classified their uh, actions, activities into three groups. Uh, so when, when, they, when they prepared, uh, when they, before the expedition, amundsen had three tons of supplies for only five people. Uh, Scott had one ton for 17 people along the way Amundsen left supplies to be consumed on the way back and uh, eventually he returned with some uh, leftover supplies while Scott didn't he didn't have any supplies for the return back from the South Pole uh, in addition to that uh, they didn't know what kind of weather uh, they will have or how high the, the mountain passes will be, or basically a, a lot of uncertainty was present there. Uh, but Emerson uh, assumed that things could go wrong, that uh, uh, bad conditions will happen, etc. Uh and, and he was prepared for all different kinds of situations. The other guy didn't really prepare well, and, uh, and during the expedition, he was always complaining in his diary about bad luck and uh, all the sufferings he was going through during the trip. Uh, one of those, I mentioned that uh, Jim Collins uh, classified all those activities in three groups. One, he called 20-mile march. And uh, it basically means that Emundsen uh, insisted on going around or, or uh, yeah, going for around 20 miles every day, uh, no matter of what kind of weather conditions there are or what kind of terrain they're passing, etc. So even, even uh, during very bad weather conditions, he would still try to achieve 15 to 20 miles per day. Uh, the other team, on the other hand, would stop during uh, bad weather conditions they would spend days in, the, in their tents. They would uh, spend a lot of uh, supplies during that time and and basically get stuck for a longer period. At the end, uh, as I mentioned, Emmons and his team returned successfully to their base. And uh, the other team was found, I think, eight months or so later by a British expedition, frozen uh, and far away from their base. I mentioned the first Discipline was called uh, fanatical discipline or the 20 mile march. The other one, uh, Jim Collins called uh, empirical creativity and it's about research and preparation before departure. And the last one was productive paranoia. So it, it was about quantity of supplies, base stations they used, uh, their physical preparation for, for the worst conditions, etc. When Jim Collins uh, examined a number of companies for for writing his book, figured, he figured out that uh, those who outperformed the average basically practiced all all those three principles, and he showed how how different companies used that. I mean, we when we founded Big IT, we didn't really know about. I think the book was not written at that time, uh, or or. I think it was written a few years later. But anyway, we didn't know anything about that theory. Uh, We intuitively use things or or practice things in a similar way. And and we still do that. So, for example, when it comes to the 20-mile march principle, there there are two types of uh, self-imposed discomforts that uh, that you have with, with that approach. The first one is... Discomfort of steady commitment to high performance in difficult conditions. And the other one is discomfort of holding back in good conditions. Uh, So basically, when we had good times, so for the past few years, it was really exceptional for IT across the globe. Uh, There was a huge demand uh, and we could hire a lot of people. So we, we were growing at around uh, 30% every year, which is already high, but we could have grown much more and then uh, risk having to fire people during bad times or uh, not being able to retain the quality we had and then maybe lose some clients or have them less happy with, with our services. And we, we probably would not be able to diversify our business enough if we if we grew more than 30%. So even though even though conditions were really good, exceptional for years, we choose to intentionally not grow more than around 30% per year. And that's that, that's something that fits well into that uh, 20 mile march principle and that's something that also helped us a lot during this period of COVID-19 outbreak because we we more easily managed not to fire anyone, not to decrease salaries or, or do, do anything else that would uh, harm our colleagues and, and their families then, so, and, yeah, let, sorry. Let, let me ask you, Sasha, because
0: the, the discipline the discipline to keep going when things are tough, a lot of people do that, but the discipline to hold back when things are good i mean the the, the temptation, the pressure is to you know maximize everything you can. How how were you able to do that?
1: I mean, there must have been temptation to grow yes. faster. Yeah, there, there, there was a lot of temptation on, on several occasions, a lot of interesting opportunities, but I'm not sure. Maybe it's prob It's probably uh, those two things that I mentioned. One is that we already went through one crisis mm-hmm. in 2008 and nine, so we learned a lot from that. We and and we knew that. Something like that will happen again eventually. Uh, so we, we just wanted to be prepared, and uh, and that's what always uh, kept us with clear mind and, and not uh, yeah didn't didn't allow us to to risk in in that sense. Well, how did you? So a
0: lot of opportunity. You, you've got growth. You've got money flowing in. You mentioned a lot of opportunities. How did you determine which opportunities to pursue and which not to pursue?
1: Well, we we would always try to balance things. So, for example, if if there's a, a really great opportunity to, for example, extend our team by extending the work we do with one client, let's say we had a team of five people working for a client and there's an opportunity to grow that to 30 we would do that if we can balance that by getting more work from new clients and then basically lowering down the risk of harming our business if we lose that single big client. So if we are able to do that, to to make that balance, then we go with it. Or, or for example, something that that you could put into this basket of productive paranoia is called Virgin Collins. Uh, something that happened recently, it was in December, last year and January this this year. We were thinking about a, a, let's say a huge investment into something new. Time was good, situation in the market was perfect. There was a huge demand for our services. So everything looked very positive. When we thought about uh, possible bad scenarios, we figure out that if a crisis would happen, during the following year and a half, we would not be able to, to go with it and, and we would be, our business would be harmed. So we decided to skip that one or at least postpone it for around a year time to save some more cash and prepare better, etc. And then only two months later, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak started and, and we felt the first negative impacts of that. So it was it was very tempting at that time, but we still we still looked at at bad possible scenarios and decided not to move on with it. So that, that really covers kind of
0: that that first discipline, that that twenty mile march, the idea of you know pushing yourself when times are tough, but holding back when when times are good. And then the second discipline
1: was around preparation. Yeah, it's uh, it's he, Jim Collins called it productive paranoia. So. Basically, the main thing was that uh, we we build reserves of cash, and uh, we know that during tough times, uh, which can last for uh, a month or a couple of months, we need to be able to run the company even with less or no revenue, and and that's that's why we have bigger reserves of cash and. That helped us both in 2009 and this year again. So that, that's one one of the things that we do around productive paranoia principle. So is there a
0: um, amount, and I don't mean you know dollar wise, but month
1: wise mm-hmm. that that you strive for in those cash reserves? Yes, yes, it, it's around four to six months of uh, monthly costs. So assuming that we would have zero revenue, uh, we want to have enough cash to be able to survive four to six months. In reality, uh, we would never be left without any revenue. So those four to six could probably be 12 to 18 months or something like that of uh, running with low, low revenue. You know, that, that that's amazing. And I know your
0: business is different than, than other businesses, but, you know, I know at least here in the U.S., I think the average restaurant has about 14 days of cash on hand, you know, okay. two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what it is for other industries, but, you know, four to six months that is, for practical purposes, 12 to 18 months, that's, a, that's an amazing amount to have around to be able to weather that long. And I, so I guess, I, again, I'm just struck by the, there must have been so much temptation to, you know, not go full four to six months. Maybe we spend a little more and we only have two months of reserve for a little while.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, sometimes it can be, can be tempting. And, and we've been thinking about that on a few occasions. But still, still going through at least one crisis uh, gives you a different angle of, of view in, in many situations like this how do you cuz you you have a partner correct i uh, actually have two partners now two so, partners yeah it was uh, vladimir and me who founded the company but a few years later uh, we gave 5% of the company to one of our colleagues so mm. he's our partner now as well so how
0: do you how do you decide <laughs> what to do you know it's uh, I guess easier to decide when only one person is making decisions, but there's great benefits to having others in on the decision. Do you vote? Do you talk it out? How, how does that work when you're trying to make these decisions like grow or hold back?
1: Well, uh, we, we talk it out and uh, very often we we agree on approach that we all like. Sometimes we can't agree. What what? works good for us is that uh, we trust each other and we know that all of us have the best intentions it's only that sometimes some of us would prefer a different approach to things and then by knowing that all of us want the best for the company and our colleagues uh, we would just say if we can't agree on the same approach we would just say okay let's do it your way this time and next time we will go with my idea and 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 that's it that works well for us that works great for us actually that strikes me as being very unusual
0: and and i'm inspired by that that you've got a group that is focused leadership group that is focused on the the good of the company and assuming the positive intent around even if we disagree we're we're disagreeing in the same direction that you know everyone wants the
1: best exactly
0: Well, let's talk more. So there there were three disciplines that Mm -hmm. Jim Collins had mentioned, the 20 Mile March, the Productive Paranoia. What was the third one?
1: The third one was uh, called Empirical Creativity. And he said that uh, discipline alone is not enough to be successful, but neither is creativity. And he argued that uh, creativity is natural uh, because we, we are all creative thinkers as children but discipline must be learned and practiced. And uh, he said that uh, empirical creativity is a blend of creativity and discipline. He said that uh, it's not that companies that he studied were more innovative, but uh, they were innovative in a certain way. So so basically, I, I will tell you what we did. Something, Something very recent related to uh the situation we all went through uh so uh, for the past two years we've been working on a startup spin-off of ours and there within that small company we were experimenting with some uh, outbound marketing uh, so some direct sales whole mailing linkedin and so on so we, we got some experience from that area, but we we never really wanted or didn't didn't have a need to apply that at Vega IT. But now, when the situation with with the novel coronavirus started, we lost around uh, 30% of monthly revenue in in the first two weeks. So so that's significant. I mean, even though we had cash reserves and and were prepared, etc., losing. 30% of monthly revenue in two weeks' time is significant and can be scary, especially because of the uncertainty part. You you, you don't know how long that will last and, and when you are going to recover and whether that will happen organically or you need to do something, etc. So we we decided to uh, try to apply that uh, the, the learning we had from from that startup and uh, we built a business development and sales teams uh, within Vega IT. We invested time and money into that and after just a few weeks time, we started getting first results. And after around two months of efforts there, we managed to recover and, and get to uh, the revenue levels from before February this year. That's amazing, and
0: especially shifting gears, going from no sales team to a sales team. So did you hire people who were very experienced in sales to do that, or did you rely on other Vega IT employees to transition over into more of a sales role?
1: Uh, we we didn't hire anyone. We, we plan to hire some people in the coming period. Actually, we, we're already interviewing some people, but everything we did so far – was uh, basically done by our co- existing colleagues who were not in the role of business developers or salespeople uh, so actually the whole initiative started by w- or by one of our colleagues and and she was like what we are doing now is not enough and why wouldn't we try to apply uh, what we've learned before and basically she started that some other people helped. We took a couple of books, started reading, starting learning on our own, experimenting even more. We tried several approaches. Some didn't work. Some were starting to give results. And with a lot of discipline, we, we got to where we are now. And after reading uh, everything I've read for the past few months, I would say that we made quite a good team and that people are doing it as it should be done, and and the results show that uh, it's very successful.
0: Well, you seem to be very good at taking great ideas and applying them to your own situation. So in in business development, um, obviously you had a very steep learning curve. What worked best in your situation? How how did you approach that?
1: One thing is that uh, people were spending more time online that's one thing. The other one is that uh, many companies wanted to save costs and uh, we could offer really great service at a lower rate. We we just had to uh, do a good market analysis, get to the right people and send them the right message to, to get them interested to speak with us. And so we we, we tried to... Uh, do as little communication over email or, or messaging as possible and get to to speak with people and see them over Zoom or Hangouts or whatever, uh, show them who we are, show them what we did. Uh, We've we'll, we'll also been uh, offering our prospects to speak with our existing clients and that helped a lot as well because our existing clients uh, what we were saying, so all, all that ha- helped a lot. You know, I am just
0: just fascinated by by your situation, Sasha. Just you know, Jim Collins has published a lot of books, and a lot of people have bought them and read them. Much fewer have actually taken those concepts and used them to really build a, a strong, enduring company. I want to shift gears just a little bit and ask. How you hire people, like beyond the technical skills, what is it that you look for? What, what type of person thrives in your environment?
1: Well, for the start, we look for, for good people and we look for, uh, we, we try to figure out what their potential is. So very often we, we don't hire people who already know the right things that we need at that moment. But we try and we're actually quite good in figuring out uh, what the potential of people are and uh, who, are, who are those who will be quick learners, those who, who are eager to learn, to, but also to share knowledge with others, etc. So I believe it's uh, uh, in, in big part, I mean, the whole success we are making is in big part related to the culture that we've built which starts with hiring, but then also with our onboarding process through which our new colleagues get to know us and, and our culture very easy because they are assigned with people who help them to socialize, but also with tech mentors. And so you get a lot of opportunity to progress fast and to learn fast. Uh, and if you if you are the right person, then... Uh, I mean, the right-minded um, person, then, then you can thrive easily here. So, Sasha, we have been talking about
0: the, the, the people, the culture, the cash. You mentioned those were, were kind of the three things. We talked about cash. We talked about people a little bit. So for culture, what is it that you do differently? Or, or I guess rather, what is it that uh, works so well for
1: you? I would say it's a combination of several things. Uh, One is we already mentioned that uh, uh, we are open to hearing ideas of our colleagues and giving them strong thoughts. Uh, Like when when the colleague I mentioned came to us to to say that she would like to do some work around uh, business development and trying to reach out to some uh, potential clients. Uh, We were not only open but very happy with that initiative she actually did some work already in her free time just to experiment with that before coming to us being open to ideas uh, we we are present here within the company we as the founders don't even have our own offices and just sit with our colleagues i I switch office uh, every week just to be surrounded with different people and, and being able to hear what what they think or what it is they have, etc. But it's it's also about uh, helping each other and, and supporting each other. It, it, it's about uh, the fact that our, our colleagues, or at least the majority of them, treat this company as it's theirs. So when when this COVID nineteen crisis started, uh, we were talking about what it is that each of us can do for the company and, and for, for our colleagues. And uh, I, I told our colleagues that uh, the best thing we can do is to uh, do even better work for our clients and uh, go an extra mile every time we, we work on something and have our clients not only satisfied but, but extremely happy And they really took it seriously and they were really doing hard work and and going an extra mile. And we had situations when a project is finishing and the client client is calling to say that uh, they don't want to lose that person from their team uh, and they will find another project just so that they, they can keep working with that colleague of ours. And during a tough time like this, that's something that that's of uh, great value. Uh, that, that's really something that uh, that helps a lot. What what we did there was to speak with our colleagues all the time, praise them uh, for the great work they're doing, uh, share all the successes with with the rest of the company, and in, in the end, that uh, that's helping us now to go through this period, uh, almost a, a, as if nothing is happening around us. Well, that's amazing. Um, but let me ask, do you have a
0: long-term goal for the company? Is it just, you know, keep growing it year over year? Do you have a, a set target you want it to get to?
1: Uh, well, when, when we founded the company, the idea was that we Uh, build a successful and uh, happy company and and be surrounded with people who are happy most of the time and use that success to uh, make the world a better place. We don't have any uh, yearly goals. We don't have any uh, final goal or something like that. So we just want to continue building our company, uh, growing together with it, uh, enjoying the work we do, and trying to improve the world around us as much as we can.
0: Well, and I know you, you have several efforts when it comes to improving the world. What, what are some of those things that you do as a company uh, beyond providing a great place for people to work?
1: Mm-hmm. There are several things, but we believe that the most we can do is around education and entrepreneurship. So we, we are from Serbia, a small and, and still poor country, and uh, we strongly believe that by investing in education and investing in in promotion and development of entrepreneurship, we can help the country to prosper. And so we, for example, support some uh, organizations and initiatives that uh, that are actively working on improving uh, our educational system in Serbia. We we contribute contribute there. Uh, both financially and with uh, our knowledge and experience. We also organize uh, uh, visits of high school and, and uh, college students to our company. We do motivational talks for them. Uh, many of them would come years after to work for our company or, or go off elsewhere. But in the meantime, they would uh, do hard work in their studies. and, and But knowing that... Uh, even in Serbia, if you invest in your education, you can have a good job, earn good money, support your family and the community li- you live in. So there, there are a number of uh, activities around it. When it comes to entrepreneurship, there's also a lot of things we do. But for example, we've co-founded a number of companies with uh, some of our ex-colleagues. We usually support those companies uh, in the beginning, financially with advices, but also of the first lines and many of them are now fully independent very successful hiring 30 to 40 30 to 50 people basically building further their businesses we also are trying to share our knowledge and experience with others even even when we don't have a stake in in their companies for example at the moment we have Uh, a CEO mentorship program where we share our knowledge and experience with younger CEOs from the country or uh, we we are also part of an angel investment group from Serbia through which we try to support uh, young entrepreneurs who have founded their startups and so on.
0: All right, so so that's amazing. Um, and you said, so you were investing with ex-colleagues. So these, these are people that work for Vega IT and left to go start their own company and you helped them out with that?
1: Yeah, so th- there are different stories there, but let's say uh, the most common one is that we see uh, a strong entrepreneurial spirit in someone and that we see that they are uh, smart and... Uh, uh, hardworking and capable of doing things on their own, and sometimes it's the initiative of our colleagues. Sometimes it's our own initiative, and we figure out the business model and and what what the company we do, etc. And we just go with it and and found a company. Uh, so th- those those are people who would probably do it on their own eventually, but maybe later and not sooner and uh, maybe they would not be able to make the same success as, as when we push them a bit and, and support them in the beginning. So basically, that's a model that works very well for us because I believe in most cases they would leave Vega IT eventually. This way we support them, support the local community uh, and also benefit from that.
0: You know, that makes complete sense, and it is about 180 degrees off, I think, from the way many leaders think about things, you know, people leaving that, you know, that, that they're disloyal or, um, and you've just turned that into such an advantage for, for them, for the community, and, and for, for Vega IT as well. Yeah. You know, in, in fact, so much of what we've talked about has been, it makes total sense w- when you say it, and yet so few actually do it. You may not have an answer for this, but I'm curious. From your experience, why is it that more companies don't operate the way Vega IT does?
1: Yeah, well, it, it, you're right. It's not probably me who can answer that one. But yeah, my feeling is that uh, it's related to the fact that we didn't really know much about how you should run or how traditionally the companies have been run. So we were doing it more intuitively and, and yeah, following, by following our gut feeling and, and by trying to, to do things great for us and people around us. We were always using that approach to get the best from any situation. So even when someone is leaving, we see what can we do the best from, from that uh, for the benefit of both parties, we we even do that when when we in some rare occasions have to fire people. Even then, we would tell people why we don't see that we can work together anymore. Uh, but we don't give them uh, like a one month notice. We just say that they can stay for as long as they want, or for as long as they don't find a new good job. And and that's that's something that our colleagues or ex-colleagues appreciate and and then eventually we separate in good spirit and so even then we we try to make it good for both parties as as good as we can
0: well sasha i have really enjoyed this conversation today let me say I, i i just love hearing about how you've taken these ideas that in many cases are, are already out there, but, but actually put them into use in, in your company and the benefits and the gains you've seen from it. And just your overall uh, approach and philosophy around doing things that work well for you and work well for your, your colleagues and doing good for the world and the benefits that, and success that comes out of that. To me, that's, that's very, not only is it the way things should be done, but it is very inspiring. Uh, so where can people learn more about you or, or about Vega IT?
1: Well, they can go to our website at uh, vegaitsourcing.rs uh, they can find me on linkedin as uh, sasha Popovic and and follow me i'm active there uh, we, we have a book a tour program also so for people who are visiting novi sad they can just let us know and come join one of the tours and see the company see meet some of our colleagues see the way we work. So those are some of the some of the ways I would recommend.
0: Excellent. And I know somewhere on your website is your your I think you called a culture book. Um, yes. Just kind of summarizing all of the different things you do around the company's culture, and it's well worth tracking down and checking out. I think it's pretty cool. One question I always ask to wrap things up is, what would your ask be of the listeners? What could they do to help you?
1: Uh, Well, I I would suggest or advise that they check out the book I mentioned, Create by Choice by Jim Collins. And see how they can adjust or or improve their businesses to use the practices mentioned there. It's something that, uh, that it would help not not help me directly, but indirectly, yes, because uh, I believe if we, if we use principles from the book, if we hire the right people, treat them well, if we treat our companies well, then the uh, world around us will be a better place and we will all enjoy it more.
0: That seems like an excellent place to end right there. Love that. Uh, Sasha, great having you on again always love hearing about your company and what you're up to and, and just how you're doing things. Um, so thank you so much for being on today. Thank you, Bert.